good to be with you this morning in the absence of Jim. want to keep them in our prayers as they travel, take a little time off, know that they work hard and they deserve some time off. This morning we're going to be taking our lesson from the book of Jonah. And most of the time when we talk about Jonah, most people are familiar with the whale or the big fish and the situation of Jonah being swallowed by that. But although it's a very short book and one of the minor prophets, there are a lot of lessons that we can learn from Jonah. And as we read through this, we can see the attitude of Jonah. And as I looked at this, and I always do compare attitudes, we look at the attitudes of people in the world today, uh, especially toward the truth and obeying God, I'm reminded of the same type of attitude that Jonah had in his service to God. If you'll follow along with me as I, I read, uh, begin reading in chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Now here is a direct command from God. Jonah, being a prophet of God, prophet of Israel, is commanded to go to Nineveh. Now Nineveh is a Gentile city. And of course, Jonah is a Jew. And God gives him a specific command, a direct command to go down to Nineveh. But what does Jonah do? He disobeys God, just blatantly disobeys God. He goes down to Tarshish. He says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, why would Jonah decide to disobey a direct command from God? Well, we can ask that same question of people today, even of ourselves. Oftentimes, we may disobey a direct command of God. One direct command of God that most people disobey is obeying the gospel. God commands us to obey the gospel, but how many people refuse to do that, but yet still believe in God? So Jonah decided that he was going to do it his way, rather than what God had said. Now there was a reason for God sending Jonah down to uh, Nineveh. Nineveh's sin came up before God. God wanted them to repent. So He wants to send Jonah down there to take the message to them or to get them to tell them to repent. It's interesting how Jonah decided he wasn't going to do it. He decided to try to run from God. Now, what happens, and I'm not going to read everything here, what happens is Jonah gets on the ship and you know, run into trouble because God you know, causes uh, the sea and the storm and all that. And So the men are afraid and they're wondering, well, why is this happening? So they come to a conclusion, well, maybe it's Jonah. And they ask him and Jonah you know, says he's a prophet of God. Well, long story short, they toss him over into the water and, of course, he is swallowed up by the whale. But yet, Jonah still prays to God in this. 
And that's what happens with a lot of people. Although a lot of people may not serve God, they still pray to God. But when we look at Jonah, we can see in this his arrogance. Well, after all, the Jews didn't like the Gentiles, thought they were better. So he does not want to go down there. It wasn't a matter that Jonah just decided, well, I'm just not going to do what God says. He didn't want to go down to Nineveh because they were Gentiles. And he tries to run away from God. So in this, we see not only his dislike, but also the Jews felt like that they were superior in their relationship with God. Now, when we have, we oftentimes talk about the three eras. We talk about the patriarchal age and the mosaic age and then the Christian age. Well, what a lot of people don't understand is although the, Mo, the law of Moses was given, that did not do away with the patriarchal law. The Gentiles were still serving God. And yet, that's why God wanted Nineveh to repent because they too had souls. And God doesn't want anyone to perish. 2 Peter 3.9 But we see Jonah's attitude. We see that he tried to run away from God. And a lot of people do that in their own way. Although they may not really realize it, they try to run away from God. But when we look at disobeying God, there are some different categories of disobeying God. One, willingly, in the sense of, say, an atheist or an agnostic, they choose not to believe in God. They say God doesn't exist. They don't even take to the idea of maybe a supreme being or a creator. Most atheists, if not all, believe in evolution. Spoke with a, a friend of mine one time. He didn't believe in God, but he believed that there was a great light source that we came from. Where he came up with that, I don't know. I don't know if it had anything to do with the fact he was from California or not. <laughs> I mean, they're good people in California, but, you know, for years and years, a lot of things originated in California and moved east. Crazy ideas. But yet, the atheists are willingly ignorant. They choose not to believe God. As the psalmist says in Psalm 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Well, if we read Romans, the first chapter, we can see that Paul talks about God's given us proof. By the things that are around us, we can see that there is a Creator. And yet they deny that. And it's because of their own desires, their own wants, and likes or dislikes, and they choose not to believe in God. So they are willingly ignorant of the truth. They choose not to know the truth. And then we have those that are ignorant of the truth. For whatever reason, some just choose not to look at God's Word, and they believe that there's a supreme being, they believe that God exists, but they don't really go any farther with that. If they would look at God's Word, maybe they would understand that to believe is a command, to obey is a command, and so on and so forth. But they're ignorant of God's law. We look at the fact, and, and I mentioned in class this morning about God has given us uh, the command to study and to know His Word. Several verses dealing with uh, study, knowledge, and so on and so forth. 
And as Peter says in 1 Peter 2, in verse 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow by, thereby. How do we grow? Peter says it right there. It's by the word. Because when we read and study God's word, and of course common sense tells you that you take it in, you believe it, and you follow it, you begin to grow. But also as Paul told Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 So it is important for us to be knowledgeable of God's Word. Now, was Jonah knowledgeable? Yes. He was knowledgeable of God's Word, but he chose to disobey. So when we look at disobedience, there are those who choose not to know anything and accept the fact that uh, in their minds, in their our hearts, that there is no God. Those that are willingly ignorant or ignorant, not knowing truth, not looking at God's Word. And then there are many who disobey God, believing in God, but there's a word that they use often, which is but. I, I, know, what, I know that the Bible says that, but. I, I, I know that's what God's talking about, but. What do they do? We, we talked about uh, Proverbs this morning, leaning toward thine own understanding. That's what they do. When they say, but, where is their source of authority at that point? Self. They are looking in themselves, or maybe someone looking to someone. But they'll say to God in His word, but. So people disobey God in different ways. But it's all going to end up the same. It doesn't matter why people disobey God. If they do not correct that, it will end up in them spending eternity in hell. Simple as that. You can only spend eternity in hell or heaven, and if you're disobeying God, you're certainly not going to be in heaven. So we see how disobeying God, and, and I do not understand what Jonah hoped to accomplish by running away from God. I mean, what, was his, what did he think was going to happen? Well... Part of Jonah's problem was the religious prejudice. We have that today, don't we? Now, the church is accused oftentimes of being prejudiced, religiously prejudiced. In other words, we think we're better than somebody else. Only the church of Christ has the truth. Well, you're a sectarian group. You think you and your little group are the only ones going to heaven. But there are... Prejudice, you know, uh, prejudice in religion. Uh, you take the Quran for or Quran, for instance. What is the solution for people not following that according to that book? They're to suffer physical persecution by the hands of those believers. And there, when you look at all the Eastern religions over in India, and all, there's no telling what all is taught in those. It would take a lifetime probably to go through all those. But we know that there is still religious prejudice that exists today. And Jonah felt like, well, I'm, a, I'm, I'm one of God's chosen people and there are those that actually today believe that the Jews are still God's chosen people. And the Jews, many of them, still act that way. That they have God. They're God's chosen people. And yet they reject His Word. I often wondered, and we know the fact that the old law 
was nailed to the cross. And the fact that the genealogies that they kept were so important because, for instance, no one could be a priest unless they were of the tribe of Levi. Well, when you don't have records, who are you going to know which person belongs to what tribe? You can't. But yet they still carry on and they still act as if they're under the law. Well, who changed all those things? Why aren't they doing the animal sacrifices anymore? Who changed that? But yet their mindset in many cases is they're still God's chosen people. They're superior to the rest of the world. Even we as God's people know that we are God's people. The church is the, the uh, institution that was bought by the blood of Christ that only those who are members of that body can be saved. And yet we don't act as if we're superior or we shouldn't. Now, as a whole, we don't. I think there may be some individuals that might feel that way, and hopefully they'll change that attitude. But we're not superior to anybody. We just happen to be blessed. We happen to be God's children because we've obeyed what He says. That does not give us the right to be conceited, arrogant, prejudiced. But yet, it still exists today. So Jonah tries to run away from God. But yet, although he gets swallowed by the big fish, he gets regurgitated back by the fish. And then he goes down to Nineveh. Now Jonah is still not happy, but he goes down to Nineveh and he preaches to them. And as we are commanded to teach also, we have to remember that if a person rejects the truth, they're not really rejecting us. They're rejecting the truth. And we shouldn't be angry because somebody rejects the truth. And that's hard to do sometimes because we have our emotions involved in it. We have effort and work involved in trying to get the truth to people. And it would be easy for someone maybe to become agitated, irritated, because a person's not accepting the truth. But the thing about this situation was that Nineveh repented. But did that satisfy Jonah? No. Jonah was mad. Even though they repented, he should have been happy that they repented. Why? Because obeying God, doing what God says, should make a person happy. We are ecstatic when people obey the gospel. Because we know that that person cares about their soul. We know as long as they're faithful to God that they're going to be in heaven. We know these things, so we should be happy. But Jonah wasn't happy. You know, there are some people that are not happy when someone comes forward. If they happen to have, you know, whatever issue with them, or they just may not particularly care for the people. You know, we, we can, if we're not careful, we think everybody in the church is just right. <laughs> that all attitudes are just right, that... You know, people handle their emotions and they're not angry with someone for no reason. That's not the way it is. People can harbor ill feelings toward their bro brothers and sisters. Did not Paul preach a lot about loving the brethren, loving one another, not backbiting or hurting each other? He would not have mentioned those things probably if that had not been an issue. And it hasn't changed today. 
just because, and, and, and we know, just because a person becomes a member of the church doesn't mean that they've got their thinking exactly right in every area. I'm reminded of a, a story and uh, told by one of my preacher friends. And I don't know if it's true or not, but it's, it, it gets the point across in the fact that you know not all people do things the way that they should. Uh, in one service, uh, a brother went forward and repented, and after the prayer and everything, he stood up and looked at another brother and said, There, are you satisfied? <laughs> now, I don't know if that's true or not, but you can see that it does happen. People harbor ill feelings, although they're brothers and sisters in Christ. And here Jonah should have been happy for these people to turn to God. But he wasn't. But yet he did do what God wanted him to. He did preach to them, get them to turn. So we have to be careful in our attitude toward others. And Jonah, it's just amazing the hard hardness of his heart and why he did not have joy and love in his heart for his fellow man. And it becomes, it's because of the history of the Jew and Gentile. But yet that really shouldn't have been a barrier. We can look at excuses all day long about why that, you know, we might not like this or we might not like that person or so on and so forth. But we really need to search inside and see where the problem is. If we got that kind of uh, animosity, whatever, we need to look inside and see where the problem is because it's not with that person. You know, if anybody had the right to be angry at anyone, it was Jesus for what they did, but he didn't. He set a great example for us. But Jonah, even though he had animosity in his heart did what God wanted it to. Now, it might not have helped him, but it did help Nineveh. That's good. But he tried to run away from God. And then after all that was over, he's sitting under a tree and still having trouble. And if you continue to read through the chapter, you'll see his attitude toward that. But in our time remaining, I want to talk about a few things that people do when they try to run away from God. I don't remember which program it was. I'm probably flipping channels because I don't watch a lot of religious programs, denominational programs anyway because I, <laughs> I can't keep it on there for about five seconds and i got to turn it. But I remember a statement that one man made and uh, he said, how long are you going to run from God? Now a person can be a religious person and still run from God. Jonah was a religious person. But he was running from God. He didn't want to do what God told him to do. And he was trying to use his feelings, his ideas to justify that. Not only that, when he got on the ship, and he probably didn't think about it at first, but he put those other men in jeopardy because of his sin. And that's what sin does. Sin is not an isolated one-person thing. It's going to involve other people somewhere along the line. Maybe not at that point, but somewhere because of the thinking and the actions of that person. That's why it's important for us to teach our children that their actions have a consequence, not only for their actions, but it may have a consequence for somebody else. We see that all the time. This person gets drunk, they go down the road, 
They may be by themselves, drinking, they're drunk, they're on the, and they have a, a wreck and they kill someone. That sin had a consequence for someone else that wasn't even involved as far as that sin. But Jonah didn't think about that, but that ship began to rock back and forth and they're throwing things over. You know, that was one of the things that, that ships did, or the people on the ships did, when, when it started rocking back and forth and starts going down. They start lightening the load in order not to sink. Well, the only load they needed to unload was Jonah because he was the problem. But Jonah's trying to run from God because he does not want to do what God says. And that's the case with people today. They run from God because they don't want to follow His Word. Too many in the church today are claimed to be New Testament Christians say, well, there is no law that we have to follow anymore. The laws, the, the things that we had to do, they, they were under the law of Moses, which is very strange to me because the law of Moses was only given to the Jews. Now, were... There are things for the Gentiles to do. Yes, they did. What did Paul say in Romans 2 and verse 14? He talked about the Jews, I mean the Gentiles that had not the law, but did the things of the law by nature were a law unto themselves. And by nature there, he means long-standing practice. The word nature in the scriptures carries about three or four different meanings. And one is long-standing practice. They had done that from the beginning. It was a long-standing practice for them to worship God. What did Noah do do as soon as he got out of the ark? Made an altar and sacrificed to God. What did Cain and Abel do? They sacrificed to God. Had the law of Moses been given at that time? Absolutely not. So, there were laws to follow. But people say today, well, the New Testament is about love. Well, I find that interesting since Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, 15. What uh, What is a commandment? It's a law. It's the law of Christ, the law of liberty. There are things to do. There are commands. But yet people feel that because Christ is love, that you really don't have to do anything specific. Just love God, just have faith in God, go somewhere and be religious and do this or do that, and you're okay. Because they do not like to have to follow commands. I've had discussions several times with people who feel that the New Testament is just a law of love, letter of love. Well, there are plenty of commands Command to repent. What did Peter say? Talking about God commandeth all men to repent. Is that a command? Absolutely. So there are commands, but people run from that. They try to avoid having to have structure. As a matter of fact, I think, uh, I don't know, Brenda and I were going by a building or something, saw on their marquee, uh, No commandments, no rules, or something like that. Well, that's their idea of serving God, is basically what you feel is right is right. It really just comes down to faith. Although they may not necessarily say saved by faith only, that's what they're teaching, preaching. Of course, many do believe salvation by faith only. But people try to avoid... Serving God while serving God. 
Many will offer excuses why they don't serve God. As Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Is that a command? Absolutely. It means that everything comes behind serving God. Even your family. Not that Jesus is saying neglect your family. That's not what He is saying. I will not lose my soul because I'm going to deny God's truth because I think somebody might not be in heaven that I thought was a saint while they're on earth. That would be foolish. And there are those who feel that way. If I accept the truth, then my mom, my dad, my grandma, whoever, they won't be in heaven because they didn't obey the same thing. Well, I guarantee you one second in hell they're going to realize they made the wrong decision. And that's a tragedy. That is saying they know more than God. They're relying on their understanding rather than God. And it's sad. Let's turn over to Luke, the 14th chapter. And we know that as God called Moses to lead the children of Israel, that he made a lot of excuses. And of course, God answered those excuses by giving him answers and also as a, a spokesman. And of course, Moses said, well, I'm not eloquent of speech, basically. And uh, so what he did, he gave him Aaron as a mouthpiece. So, so God can take care of the problems. But when we look at uh, what's going on here in Luke 14, it's uh, the feast. And beginning in verse 15, let me make sure I got the right one here. He says, And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuses. That is a tremendous sentence right there. And they all began to make excuses. How many times have you talked with people and... and Excuses. Man, if I had a dollar for every time that happened, I'd give up my welfare check. Excuses will not get a person into heaven. They had excuses. They began to make excuses why they weren't going to follow God. Why are more people out than in? Because they're making excuses why they are not here. They make excuses why they don't serve God. Well, there's nothing but a bunch of hypocrites down there at that church. I had a discussion with a lady one time, and I may have relayed this to you or not, and I don't remember. But she was talking, we were talking about helping people or something, and she made the comment about, well, people outside the church care for you, more for you than people in the church. And, of course, my response was, maybe you're going to the wrong church. And what I was trying to convey to her was that her idea or concept of the church was wrong. Now, in all cases, no, because we know there's always exceptions to the rules. But we are to be loving, kind people. We're not perfect, 
you know, that idea of, well, I don't want to go down there because they're a bunch of hypocrites. Well, they don't think about that when they go to the store or the ball game or a movie or anything like that. They don't think about that then. And there are more hypocrites out there than in here. I can guarantee you that. But it's an excuse. As these began to make excuses, and then they talk about the reason. Now, was it an excuse to them? No, they thought they had a legitimate reason. But people don't realize that we're going to have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10. And we have to help people understand that they need to quit making excuses. Quit running from God, as Jonah ran from God, and tried to get away from God. If you will, turn over to Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter. I think this is a great verse that will help us understand. And if we really think about it, use common sense, we know we can't get away from God. But a lot of people live their lives as if they are hiding from God. And we know that that's not possible. Many people believe in God, but they live their lives as if there is no God. And that's kind of what Jonah did when he disobeyed God. In a sense, he acted like, well, God doesn't exist. What he said does not exist. I'm going down here. But in Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter, beginning in verse 23, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. The old saying, you can run, you can hide, you can run, but you can't hide, or you can hide, but you can't run, something like that, doesn't add up. Because God sees everything. Oftentimes we forget that, don't we? Oftentimes we forget that God can see everything. He can read every thought that we have. And I think it's only human to forget sometimes. We get so caught up. But yet there are those who feel out of sight, out of mind. And if they are not connecting with God, then God forgets about them. He doesn't see what they do. I don't know. Now, I've never have felt that way because I've always known that God knows everything I do. But I imagine there are some people who are able to do that. There is no running or hiding from God. Jonah should have known that. Common sense should have told him that. His knowledge of God should have told him that. What he had been taught should have known that. But he decided to run anyway. We can't run from God. We can't hide from God. We can't fool God. We can't trick God. We can't do any of that. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with a cold, hard reality that we need to be honest in everything that we do. I know we're not perfect. I know that we're not going to be able to accomplish that every single time. But as long as we're heading down that road of trying to do it, that's the best way to go. But yet there are those that will try to run from God. And then at, at Judgment Day, they're going to expect God just to kind of forget about that. 
and say, well, you know, I, I wasn't that bad of a person. Surely, God, you're not going to condemn me. Well, we know Cornelius was a good man. Being a Gentile, good report among people. He gave to the poor. Being under the patriarchal law, he followed that. Even the Jews had a good report about Cornelius, and that was hard to do. But yet, Cornelius still had to obey the gospel. Did he run from God? Did he run? Well, I'm a pretty righteous person. You know, Jews think real well of me. You know, that's got to be a plus for me. (laughs) You know, surely that counts for something. I, I give my money to help people. I pray. Surely that's enough. But he had to obey the gospel. When he heard it, learned it, he didn't run at all. Maybe ran toward the cross. Maybe that's another sermon, running toward the cross. But we can't run from God. We can't hide from God. We can learn a lot of lessons from Jonah. The question this morning is, are you running from God? As one who has never obeyed the gospel, feeling that you're okay or maybe you should do it, but not quite sure, whatever reason, you can be running from God. And that won't get you into heaven. The only way a person can begin that process, the only way a person can become a child of God and have that hope of eternal life is to obey the gospel. Hearing the truth, God has created us in a way that if we have an honest mind and an honest heart, that when we hear the truth, we'll recognize it as the truth. And then upon hearing that truth, there's got to be a reaction. There's got to be a response. And there will be. Either a person will accept it or a person won't. You can't have eternal life if you don't accept it. But hearing the Word builds faith. Paul talks about it in Romans 10, 17. He talks about people that heard. And not, the, and not all people, even though they had heard, had obeyed. But he says, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. That's the absolute truth. And then upon that truth, hearing about Christ, hearing about how we're to obey God, so on and so forth, we must believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you should die in your sins. Man, it it doesn't get any clearer than that. Believing that Christ is the Son of God. Be willing to repent. As Peter told the people, he says, God is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants people to come to repentance. God wants people to be saved. And then upon that repentance, to decide to change a life, change my way, change my directions, then confess Christ as Lord and Savior, and then be baptized for the remission of sins. As Peter told the Jews on the day of Pentecost. You know, they asked the question, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What did Peter say? Peter could have said a lot of different things. He was there. He could have said, well, just believe and you're okay. Or just do this and you're okay. He was asked a direct question and his answer was, guided by the Holy Spirit, repent and be baptized. I think that leaves, you know, any doubt that, 
of, of his thoughts there about what people should do. Now, we know that through other scriptures we find about the, the faith and belief and confession. We find all of that. It's necessary. As Paul said, confession is made with the mouth unto salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10. But Peter said, repent. And he also says in 1 Peter 3.21 that baptism does save us. Now, it either does or it doesn't. There's no in-between. And Peter says it does. I don't know how many people I've talked with that try to argue that. No, that's not really what he meant. He was just using that as an example. I mean, it is amazing. But that's what has to happen. And Paul talks about it in Romans 6, 3 and 4. But baptized into his death. Well, if you're not baptized, are you into his death? Absolutely not. So we see that a person has to do those things in order to be added to the church, Acts 2.47. Now, a lot of people run from that. They'll do everything up to the point of baptism, and then they stop, and turn, and go the other way. If you're here this morning and never obeyed the gospel, you need to. As a child of God, if you're running from some sin, not willing to confess it, not willing to make some changes that need to be changed, you're running from God. Because God tells us to repent. He tells us to live right. He tells us to walk in the light. He tells us to forgive. He asks for forgiveness. If, if we're not seeking those things, we're in trouble. So as a child of God, we can have trouble. Trouble at the gate. If we don't repent and change our ways. So don't run from God, even though you may be a child of God. Remember, Jonah tried to run away from God. It's impossible. So don't run from God any longer. But if you have need to obey the gospel or come forward as a child of God, we pray that you'll do as we stand and sing.